Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Jesus spoke these words to his disciples a half a world away, two millennia ago. But they come to us this morning here at Lakewood not as distant, not as far off, but as needed and as helpful. Last Sunday it was announced that our worship pastor, Ted Fighter, had resigned. And this was especially hard given that in the last four and a half months this is the second resignation of one of our primary leaders that we've heard about. So as we gather this morning, I don't think it's a stretch at all to say that as a church, we're sad. As a church, we're hurting. It's been a long year. It's been a hard year for us as a church family. So as we gather, I want to help us take that sadness and hurt And again, look to God's word for the peace and the comfort that we can find there together. Quick word, maybe you're here and you've just begun attending Lakewood. Maybe you're here and you're just visiting for this weekend. Uh, Maybe you're not feeling the hurt the same way that others, others are. But I would encourage you, don't just tune out this morning. We'll be looking at reminders for a hurting church. But these reminders aren't just for a hurting church. These reminders apply equally as well to a hurting life. And we know that even if life, even when life is going great, there will be hard times at some point to come, right? So regardless of your situation this morning, if you feel the hurt and pain as a member of Lakewood, or if you're just visiting, if your life as an individual is at a 9 or a 10, or if you're at a 1 or a 2, these reminders that God's word speaks to the hurt in our lives come as comfort and give us peace. We know that in hard times, whether for us as a church or for us as individuals, we most often don't need to learn something new. The thing that really helps isn't additional information or something we didn't know before. Rather, we need to be reminded of that which we already know. So this morning we're going to look at some things uh, that are reminders to us. Some things that if you've spent any time in church or any time in God's word, you likely already know. This isn't going to be news to anybody this morning. But I also know that sometimes these things that we know get drowned out in our thinking. Or those things that we know fall out of focus. And instead of being sharp and clear, become clouded and fuzzy. And I want us to remember this morning, I want us to call back to mind that which we know. That God is sovereign. That God is faithful. And that God's at work. Throughout scripture, God tells his people to remember. And this morning we want to do exactly that. As we get started, before we begin, let's go ahead and pray. 
and ask God to be with us as we look to him. Father, we come to you together this morning to confess that all too often we forget that to which we should hold fast. We ask that this morning as we study your word and as we apply it to our own lives and to our own circumstances, that you would enlighten us by your Holy Spirit. Would you make plain to us, God, things that otherwise might be clouded or distant? Would you remind us as individuals and as a church family of your nearness to us, your control over all things, your faithfulness to us, and your work through us? We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus and for his sake. If you haven't already, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. We'll be in verse 32 for much of the morning. We'll start by uh, looking at, this is is where we'll be. Uh, It's here that Luke records the words of Jesus as he's speaking to his disciples. And Jesus says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Now, if you have spent time studying Scripture, you know that there's a danger to just taking a single verse like this and trying to apply it to our lives without first looking at the context that that verse fits into. Just like we don't want to be quoted out of context as individuals when we're trying to communicate with other people, we don't want to rip one verse or one sentence out of the context of Scripture when we are looking to receive God's Word to us. So let's take some time and look at the context that this verse is in. If you'll look back up to verse 22 of chapter 12, we'll see that this is Jesus talking, that he's speaking to his disciples. And if you kind of page quickly back and forth through, you can see that chapter 12 is, uh, and much of chapter 11 is filled with a, a number of different teachings of Christ to those who are following him. And this teaching specifically is talking uh, about the worry that can come with the pressures of life. Specifically, Jesus is talking about the pressures of just, will I have food to eat? Will I have clothes to wear? The basic necessities that his disciples would concern themselves with. He's reminding his disciples, excuse me, that God knows their needs, that God cares deeply for them as people. And that God will provide. And because of this truth, if they were worrying that there wouldn't be enough, if they're desperately trying to hoard resources because they're afraid that there's going to be a lack, Jesus is casting those things from their mind and saying, don't worry about there being enough. Don't fear for the resources that you'll have. God uh, is in control. God will provide. You need not be afraid. To his followers, looking at the circumstances arrayed against them and being tempted perhaps to fear, Jesus gives words of comfort and of hope. And in this way, it's not unreasonable for us to apply this passage directly to ourselves this morning. 
Jesus knows our tendency to worry, just as he knew the pull of anxiety for his disciples 2,000 years ago. Jesus knows of the difficult circumstances we find ourselves in, just as he knew those of the disciples when he taught them in that Galilean countryside. So as the followers of Christ today, looking at the circumstances we find ourselves in as individuals or as a church, hurting, sad, potentially tempted to fear, Jesus gives words of comfort and of hope. In effect, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that Jesus is speaking directly even to us here at Lakewood this morning and saying to us, do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So let's this morning take comfort in the words of Jesus to us. Let's take comfort in the command that he gives right at the outset. Do not be afraid. I don't think I need to remind us of the number of times we see this refrain in Scripture. The command not to fear is one seen from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Time and time again, God tells his people, those people who trust him and love him, not to fear. And Why is that? So I was thinking about it this week. I think that a big part of the reason that we are told repeatedly not to fear is because we are so prone to fear. The concise Oxford English Dictionary defines fear as an unpleasant emotion caused by the threat of danger, pain, or harm. No wonder we can be so th prone to fear. How often do we feel at some level, under some threat of danger, pain, or harm from things around us. Jesus here is reminding his disciples that they need not fear. Not because they won't face danger, not because they won't come to harm, but because in any circumstance, including the, including the ones they found themselves in when Jesus spoke these words to them, God will act on their behalf and God will provide for their needs. Jesus' statement here is not a promise that there won't be difficulty. It's not a promise that we uh, will never be harmed. But rather, this is a reminder of God's presence and of God's provision in the midst of the most difficult, in the midst of even the darkest of circumstances. Jesus tells us we need not fear. Let's take him at his word this morning. And I love that this comes to his followers not as an order, not with condemnation, but as an invitation and in love. We can see this because as Jesus tells his followers not to fear, he calls them by this dear term, he calls them little flock. And this just draws to mind a, a metaphor, a picture so often used in scripture of God's people as sheep and of God over them as the good shepherd, caring for them, protecting them, loving them. We think, of course, of the 23rd Psalm, the best loved and probably best known Psalm in scripture that starts out, the Lord is my shepherd. 
We think of Jesus referring himself to the good shepherd and saying that as the good shepherd, he goes so far to give his life for the sheep. Nothing will stand between Jesus and caring for his flock, for his little flock. Nothing stands between God and caring for those who are his. Now, I'm not a shepherd. I've spent some time around cows, being from Wisconsin and all, uh, and I've got some cousins who have some goats, had some goats, I'm not sure. Uh, but to be honest, firsthand, I know basically nothing about sheep, okay? But I know this. When Jesus calls his followers little flock, he's not using this phrase to convey strength or might, okay? I, I know this. The next Avengers reboot that comes out, whenever that's coming, and we all know it is, will not feature a new superhero who goes by the name Little Flock. I know that when the next Star Wars comes out, there will not be a villain in it who goes by the menacing title Little Flock, right? A little flock does not conjure up images of strength, of might, of power. A little flock is vulnerable, weak, unimpressive, even insignificant. A little flock would have every reason to be afraid. Because a little flock needs to not only be defended against things that would bring them harm, but a little flock requires care and protection just to survive. Jesus looks to his followers. Jesus looks to us today, and he does not identify them with a mighty political movement. He doesn't identify them as an academic powerhouse or an irresistible cultural force. He doesn't call attention to their economic superiority. Instead, he calls his followers, he calls us a little flock. A group that, apart from the promise of its shepherd, would have every reason to fear. You know what, Lakewood? We're a little flock. And if we were smaller than we are, we would be a little flock. And if five years from now or ten years from now, we would grow in size to have to pack more chairs in the great hall and go to three services if our budget would triple or get multiplied by 10, if staff would increase and we'd have to build on more facilities to care for the people that were coming our way to hear the gospel, you know what? We'd still be a little flock. And that's okay. That's good. That's a healthy reminder. It's a comforting thought. If we focus in on what that says about us, if we focus in on the ways that a little flock is weak and insignificant and unable to care for itself, we could get discouraged, certainly. But when we allow the reminder that we are a little flock to turn our eyes off of ourselves and again toward God, to the one who cares for us, when we look not at how weak we may feel, but at how strong God is, then the reminder that we are and ever will be a little flock is a cause for encouragement, not for worry. 
not for fear. Fear not, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. We receive this command, this invitation from Jesus not to fear. We see that it's addressed to us, to a little flock that could very well be afraid and would be in many ways right to be afraid. And now we can see why we need not be afraid. Jesus uh, gives, I think, three specific reminders that can even be drawn from the text here in Luke 12, 32 about why we need not fear. Jesus doesn't just call his followers a little flock and say, look, you're a little flock, but don't worry about it, it'll be okay. He goes on to paint the picture for them of why they need not fear, even though they might seem to have reason to. He tells his followers, he tells us, we have a father. And it's his pleasure, his joy to give us the kingdom. Let's look at these things. First, our Father. That phrase should sound familiar to us. Jesus used it in the chapter previous in Luke's Gospel in chapter 11 when his disciples come to him and say, Lord, teach us how to pray. And Jesus responds, when you pray, pray like this. Start off by saying, our Father who art in heaven. Certainly, this phrase, our Father, can point to many of God's attributes and brings many beautiful reminders to us. But I want us to consider specifically this morning God's sovereignty as a reason we need not fear and as a helpful, healthy reminder to us as a church in this present time. The sovereignty of God is the doctrine, the understanding from Scripture that God reigns supreme in the universe, that He has always and will always be able to do precisely as He wills, and that the only limits that can be imposed on Him are those that He would impose on Himself. The sovereignty of God is a description of how God relates to his creation. That is including but not limited to humanity as a whole. God's sovereignty describes the interaction between creator God and everything else. Three things that we can remember about God's sovereignty. Three points to sum it up. And again, just a summary of how God interacts with his creation. First... God is in control. God is in control. When we think of a sovereign, we most often think of a ruler, a king, one who has authority. God has complete authority over all he has made. Secondly, God's control, God's authority is never threatened and never in doubt. There is nothing, there is no circumstance, there is no happening or event that can call into question whether or not God is in control. And lastly, God's control, God's authority that is never questioned, never in doubt, he uses that to direct all things to his purposes. God's sovereignty means that he is directing all of creation, all of history, to accomplish what he wills. 
He's in control. It can't be threatened. And he's directing it according to his purposes. God's sovereignty is a gracious reminder to us in the midst of pain. What a comfort it is to know that God's in control. What a comfort it is to remember that that control cannot be threatened, cannot be thwarted. What a comfort it is to know that that control means that God is pulling all things, directing all things toward his ends. I know at the same time that it's a comfort, it can cause a lot of questions. I know some of you are starting to spin those questions out in your head right now. Maybe you're trying to reconcile the complete control that God has with the real ability of of humans to make actual decisions. That ability that scripture continually assumes. Maybe you're thinking instead about the difficulty posed by God being in complete control and then having horrific events happen in history. And you're trying to crack the problem of an all-powerful, all-loving God and the existence of evil. I know these are real questions. I'm not trying to pretend this morning that they don't exist. I'm not trying to pretend this morning that they have an easy answer. They do exist. And people that are great thinkers have been trying to unravel them for centuries. I know these are real problems. But I'm not going to try and solve them for us this morning. If you're interested in learning more about them, there are a lot of good books in our library. Go ahead, go down there, grab one. I'd be happy to have a cup of coffee with you and talk about things that thinkers have thought throughout the ages. Um, But for this morning, I just want us to remember and find comfort in the solid fact from Scripture That even in hard times, as a church or as a person, God is still on his throne. These events have not caught him by surprise. Nothing that comes is a challenge to his rule. Let's remember, Lakewood, that God is sovereign. And as we do, we can not only take comfort in the sovereign control that God exercises over all of his creation, but we can also take comfort in knowing that he sovereignly cares for us as his children and for all of creation. Luke 12 is a great example of this. Let's look up quickly to verse 24. Jesus again is talking and he's speaking to his disciples. He says, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Or verse 28, speaking of uh, the flowers in the field, Jesus says, If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Jesus is telling his followers that God feeds the ravens, that God clothes the grass of the field. And in these things, Jesus' whole point is that if God cares so richly for birds and for grass, how much more will he care for us? If God acts to take care of ravens and flowers, Lakewood, how much more does his sovereignty mean that he will care for us, his church, his bride? Wayne Grudem puts it this way. Because of our confidence in God's providential care, we need not fear any evil or harm, even if it does come to us. 
It can only come by God's will and ultimately for our good. This morning, Lakewood, let's remember that God is sovereign. Let's find comfort and peace in that. Secondly, let's remember that God is faithful. His provision for us and his attitude toward us does not change. Scripture speaks again and again of God as faithful. It speaks again and again of the fact that he does not waver in his love for those who are his, that his promises will not fail, and that his character is absolutely steadfast. Perhaps nowhere in all of Scripture do we see God's faithfulness more on display than in the Psalms. In the 150 Psalms that there are, almost 50 times we see the psalmist talking about the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of God. These songs and these prayers that are recorded for us highlight that God has been, is, and will be faithful. The faithfulness of God, I think, is especially something that we need to remember. We need to remember it Because in the midst of our circumstances now, it can be easy to forget of hard times in the past and God's faithfulness then. Like with this isn't the first time that we've been a hurting church. Most of us haven't been around long enough to remember all of the hard times in years gone by. Or if we have, they can quickly fade from memory, can't they? We can look through the past with rose-colored glasses. There's value, though, in looking back and remembering that we've had hard times and that even in those hard times, God has always been faithful. God has always provided what we need to do the ministry that he's called us to. This has not changed. This will not change. When we remember this, we find encouragement to continue to pray, to continue to trust, to wait patiently on God's faithfulness. I haven't been here two years yet. I can't speak with intelligence about hard times in years gone by. But I'm grateful that God has left people here in Lakewood who have been here since the very beginning. And I want to invite us to hear from John and Helen Hansen about some ways that God has been faithful through Lakewood's 50 plus years. Well, we are John and Helen Hansen, and we've been here since about 1965, the very beginning. Helen, why don't you tell us about a time when you weren't sure, uh, maybe you weren't sure if the church was going to make it, a time when you were afraid about what was happening at church. Well, I think we go back to the same thing was when we had a a little split. we don't remember exactly what it was all about now, <laughs> except it seemed to be uh, that um, the pastor, you're with me or you're, you're not with me. And so it made us all really think what, you know, what, what do we want here and, and what's the problem? But as we got to thinking about it, um, I think most of us, 
stayed and kept kept going. We knew God was in it and he would take care of us. <laughs> and so. he did. I don't, I don't know how to say it, but I think we felt that God was with us whether whether we lost 30 people or, or not. Mm-hmm. It was hard, yes, but... Then people started coming back and other people too. And, um, God was with us. We knew that, so... We, we were provided with leadership people that could keep things going. We didn't founder for lack of uh, direction and of course God God took care of that. The other thing would be finances. That's always important. And I don't think there's been a time ever when we had a, a bill that we couldn't pay. Everything was taken care of at the right time. Well, if uh, if we think back to the early years and, and, and we could go back and advise ourselves as to how to deal with these different things, I guess I would say to myself and, and anybody, God's taking care of us. Let's keep the prayer up and don't give up hope. Eventually this is going to work out, but it's not our timing. It's not up to us. Let it run for a while. God's time will take care of it. And, and uh, uh, patience and trust is what I would advise myself and anybody else. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, I would say the, the same thing, really, that uh, we got to have patience. We got to rely on God. We got to pray that our bumps and bruises will go go over and and we know that they have because we have had ups and downs it's been proven um proven and, uh, and done so well that we don't even remember what some of them were yeah <laughs> I, I, I think we're talking about from the beginning everything was taken care of like that provided well as i was thinking of scripture for the for where we are now think of the how God is not going to leave us. In Psalms 117.2, For great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. It was hard. God was faithful. Let us act such today, Lakewood, that 20 years from now, 40 years from now, we can look back and say it was hard. God was faithful. He has been, he will be a faithful God. Finally, I think we do well to remember in hard times that God is at work. Again, Jesus says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. I think it's one of the things that can be hard for us about difficult times is that we can begin to believe that we're not seeing anything happen that would have eternal value. Uh, I've said that we will always be both broken and beautiful. That's true of us as individuals. That's true of us as a church. 
life in ministry will never be going so well that there isn't something that is broken. And life and ministry will never be so broken that there isn't some part of what God is doing in our midst that is beautiful. That's just the truth of serving God after sin has entered the world and before Jesus comes back to set everything right. It will be both broken and beautiful. But when things seem really broken, we can lose sight of the beautiful things God is doing in our midst. I don't want that to happen because Lakewood, God's still at work. Just like Jesus promises his followers 2,000 years ago, God is pleased to give the kingdom. And even now, even in difficulty, God is advancing the kingdom through the work of Lakewood. Let's not lose sight of that. Let's remember that. Let's draw encouragement from it. I want us to hear from two different parts of ministry. This isn't at all exhaustive, but I want us to hear some real stories this morning of places that God is at work. So first, Mark and Elisa Sandin. Mark and Elisa have been meeting with a group called 30 Below. Uh, they've been meeting with them faithfully basically every Thursday night. They've been involved with it for a number of years. And um, probably something that you've seen in the bulletin. And maybe you've said, what is that? Is that... That's weird. They've got it even this summer when it's warm out. I guess something. I don't know. Um, but I wanted to hear, to hear from Mark and Elisa. Well, probably really just Elisa because Mark, I think, is going to not do much other than nod and smile um, unless he surprises me after first service. Uh, but I want you to hear from them about ways that God is at work in our midst, even right now. First, guys, uh, what is 30 Below? What's your goal for this 30 Below group? That's two questions. You only asked one question for service. I did. I, I like to mix okay. it up. <laughs> well, 30 Below is a group that's dedicated to ministering to people who are around the ages of between 18 and 30, and we have Bible study, fellowship, and prayer time. Okay. And what do you want to see happen with that group? Like, What's your goal for 30 Below? Our goal for 30 Below is, um, it, I think James says it well, when you read scripture, don't leave it and forget it just like you wouldn't look at yourself in the mirror and forget what you look like and our goal is that as these young adults come to us and walk out their faith in Christ that we encourage them continually to not forget what we've learned when we're together and then we do have people who come who don't know the Lord and our pray prayer that when they're with us is that God would draw their heart to Jesus um, and then we just keep doing what we're doing with them in our midst absolutely absolutely so what are some ways that God has used 30 Below in your lives to be changing you, to be at work in your own lives? Well, for me per personally, I won't speak for Mark, and I don't think Mark's going to speak for Mark either today. <laughs> but <laughs> I've become much more graceful um, because life is really hard for a lot of people, and people really do struggle in life, and I've become more graceful to those who struggle. Um, it is very difficult when you're struggling in life and the people who are supposed to love you are just judging you. And I've just learned to be more graceful. And that's, that's God growing the fruit of the Spirit in your own life. Uh, being graceful is wrapped up in love, in peace, in patience, in gentleness. That's God growing uh, his fruit in you. That's, that's great. Um, tell us some about the people in 30 Below. How's God at work in them? Give us some stories. I'll give you three. All right. First service, you only gave me two. Well, you only gave me time. Okay. Sure. Give me three. <laughs> 
Um, well, the first one is a young lady who came to us close to the beginning when we started here. And now that I think about it, it's been close to four years that we've been doing this at okay. Lakewood, and we were doing it four years before. So it's been almost eight that we've been working with young adults. Anyway, when she uh, first came to us, she, she professed Jesus as her Savior, but she's lived such an incredibly rebellious lifestyle, and we really had some doubts about her faith. Um, but she kept coming, which sometimes always really surprised us as well. And um, since then, we've developed a really wonderful, strong relationship with her. And through the years, we have seen that that lifestyle she was living has be is becoming more and more dissatisfying to her as she spends time in the Word and in fellowship and, and in prayer with us and with the group. And um, we are really starting to see her lean more towards holiness. That's... God helping somebody see him as beautiful and see sin and things here for what they are. That's great. The next one would be Riley. Uh, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Riley, are you here? Mm. Sorry. Anyway, um, he came to us. He's a wonderful young man who is in ministry, and we just have such an appreciation for him. But he came to us with a very wounded heart because he had a lot of hurt from his father. And just, we had him with us for a very short time. And in 30 Below, it's a very transient age group. And so, you know, sometimes we'll have people for years. Sometimes we'll have people for one night. Sometimes for months. But when he was with us, um, we saw him able to forgive his father in his heart, but also to his father's face. And he was set free from the bitterness that he had held. And then he also was able to tell us that his father also was being transformed through being, able, being forgiven. What's three? Three is a fun one. We had a young man come to us who suffered from severely debilitating anxiety and insecurity, um, really debilitating. And to make an excessively long story very, very, very short, he is currently in Japan right now serving with YWAM, um, doing a DTS. And all reports, not just from him on Facebook, but some friends of mine who are ministers there as well, that he's thriving and God is transforming him. Thank you. Isn't it great to see God at work? God's at work. Um, I would be remiss if in talking about the ways God is at work in us, even now, I didn't give our most excitable staff member, Jordan Erickson, Student Ministries Director, uh, a chance to share with us about some of the things God is doing in Student Ministries. So let's hear from him. Like God always provides but sometimes he provides in ways that we never could have expected him to provide. It has been so cool to see God at work in Ellison in um, just the past couple of months to see kids who've made uh, a first-time commitment to Jesus Christ or who've rededicated their lives to Jesus Christ to just see them pursuing the Lord and to see them grow in their faith and um, to see a lot of kids step outside of their comfort zone and do things for the Lord that um, make them a little uncomfortable, but that are super um, just acts of faith and it's really, really cool. And to see kids grow and to see kids grow to love the Lord more and to become more like Christ and in that to love others more like Christ did when he was on earth. And um, not only that, but to see just the way that the lifeguards are able, able to pour into kids, um, to see lifeguards who've had the same kids for five, six years or who've had kids from sixth grade until their seniors, to see the way that they're able to pour into these kids' lives and to disciple them and to see, um, to see kids walk through some really hard stuff, but yet to see them um, just really lean on the Lord in those hard times and to see the faith that they have and to see um, just how the Lord changes people and um, to just see how he's changing our youth groups to be more like him and how um, 
were able to just go out and to love people the way that Jesus loved. And they want to do new stuff and um, just be missionaries for the Lord. And that's, that's something really cool that I've been able to see. I've been watching God at work in LSM um, this, you know, just recently with um, a lot of kids that are kind of stepping out of their comfort zone with what they're used to and going into stuff like joining the worship team or um, trying to be more servants in different aspects and activities of Wednesday nights or mission trips and stuff. And it's really cool. And especially as I've gone through the years, starting like in sixth grade, but now that I'm in upper class position and watching all these younger kids come in and really start going in and just learning more and more about God and then wanting to be that change in the community and um, really get into that position where they just want to go and spread the word. Um, I just see that more and more, and it is so awesome. So let me get this straight. You're only giving me two minutes to talk about how awesome God is and how great our students are? All right, I'll do my best. Uh, as we've moved in from a great summer into an amazing fall, we have watched record-breaking numbers come to our Fellowship of Christian Athletes group at the middle school, um, over double in attendance what we had last year. And that's in large part due to students who are so unashamed of letting people know that they follow Jesus, that they're willing to stand up on tables and chairs and invite people, hey, come to FCA, we've got donuts and Jesus. And uh, what a joy it is to be able to watch how excited those students get about the possibility of helping one of their peers experience Jesus for the first time. And another thing that I find so enriching and refreshing is knowing that from the time September 1st came along to the time Christmas will roll around, our students will have participated in over 750 ministry hours between serving at Chaminade, Camp Jim, uh, Brainerd Youth for Christ, and Fellowship of Christian Athletes, among other things. I think about all of the similarities between our students and the church in Acts 2 the way that they are unified and how they understand their mission and purpose in life, their hunger to see a world transformed in the name of Jesus Christ, and how they won't let disputes between their brothers and sisters come in the way of their ability to honor God because they just want to see him known uh, to their peers and beyond. And I think about all of the ways that our students are doing work as the church right now and how that will carry them as they become leaders in our church moving forward. Lakewood, we need not be discouraged. We need not despair. We need not fear. We can remember that God is at work, that God is faithful, and that God is sovereign. We can remember that God is giving us the kingdom even now in our midst, and when we would um, be tempted to discouragement, be tempted to fear, let's rejoice in his work amongst us. Let's rejoice in his care for us, his little flock.